having one fewer kid is the, in the U.S. is the equivalent to getting 684 teenagers to recycle comprehensively for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's insane, right? <laughs> Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, I have this is a conversation that I've wanted to have for a long time because the last time we talked about anything related to environmental stuff was, I think, October of last year. If you guys remember our uh, episode with Spencer, um, the guy who founded Green Drinks, um, that was called our environmentalism episode. And um, so today we're going to be talking with Elijah Innes Wimsett. And um, Elijah, I'm just going to let you, you know, go into a, a brief introduction of yourself, whatever you think our listeners should know about you. Sure. Um, so. I am a millennial man, gender, <laughs> white guy. Um, but uh, as far as my passions, I am an avid mm, trying to improve myself environmentalist on a personal front. And also I work in sustainability, helping big companies um, draft their sustainability plans and reduce specifically as it relates to carbon sustainability. So climate stuff, um, engineer by training, but also big into music. I think that's probably enough. Yeah. I like that because a lot, I think a lot of the times like we don't have a, as a requirement on our show to have people who have quote unquote like expertise in yeah. anything. But I do think that you're definitely above the average in terms of actually like <laughs> working in the subject matter that we're talking about and that kind of thing. So yeah, that's well, we'll see. Awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> doesn't make me any more qualified necessarily. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> um, but so, okay, let me just give some context for what I would love to talk about. Um, because one of the things that in our previous conversation about environmentalism that I found a little bit dissatisfying was like, we walk, like we, I walked away from that conversation being like, okay, like the, the green drinks thing that Spencer, you know, has, I think is awesome in terms of it's like, okay, people in DC, like, you know, love this institution of like happy hour. And so why don't we like, you know, to use that as a jumping off point to make it accessible to more people because people already love happy hour. And why don't we have one around environmentalism or whatever? But for me, the part that was a little bit like dissatisfying was I wanted something meatier in terms of how do we take getting more people to talk about it and think about it and awareness issues and translate that into actual action. Because I think so much of that is wound up in like just our social norms around, in my opinion, I feel like it's, we're still at the point where talking about, you know, changing your actual behavior to do things that are going to be, you know, good for the environment is not really something that is there's this weird social like stigma around it because mm -hmm. like who, because nobody wants to be like, "Oh, yes, like I am doing all these things that are bad or immoral or whatever it mm -hmm. is." And yep. like uh, no, but people don't want to feel like that. It feels like a very shamey thing. It, I mean, I yeah. feel like that's definitely true, especially also relating to our veganism conversation in the veganism world. Like mm -hmm. you'd go on, like I mentioned this on that episode, you go on DC Vegans and there's so many threads where literally you say anything, right? Being like, oh, I'm trying to like, there was this post where someone was like, oh, I'm trying to give up my cat because I'm moving into a non-pet friendly space. And then everyone jumped on this person and was like, how mm. dare you like get a pet without <laughs> thinking of the implication, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, this is 
an unsustainable attitude, you know? Yeah, and yeah. like, I feel like that's very prevalent. And I don't even really, for that reason, yeah. I don't even really like try to, even though I think I actually do do a lot of things that promote environmentalism, I don't identify as an environmentalist because in my, mm. in my experience that just shuts, having that kind of label, very similar to like using the word feminist, mm. will just automatically shut down a certain subset of people before you even open your mouth. Versus yep. if you just say, I'm a labelless person, I'm just open to ideas, here are my opinions on things. Yeah. So like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's, in my opinion, kind of where the culture is. And I would love your initial reaction to like how, how your experience has been in that kind of, you know, in just the social environment, yeah. you know? Yeah, so I, I mean, very, for, personally for me, I definitely struggle with all the same things. Um, I So I, I guess like the earliest, I grew up in a super hippy-dippy, both my parents are, are academics, um, and super hippie dicky hippy folks, both scientists, um, to total environmentalist people. So I totally, in one respect, grew up in a complete bubble, frankly, yeah. right. not, uh, in, in the home life or whatever. But um, when I was, when I was, I started thinking about this stuff when I was in middle school, actually kind of the whole thing from as far as veganism and environmentalism was largely inspired by my sister who was five years older and started to path towards veganism when she was, um, in high school. And so that's when I started thinking about it, but I definitely struggle with both facing myself and facing others of not, uh, I've gone through big phases where it's, it's so easy to just put things in terms of like, you, what are you doing wrong? What's the, you know, a big guilt trip, like everything's a big guilt trip. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just something that it's, it's, I've come to see more stymies the conversations with others and makes it really hard to, and I've had this conversation with my sister for years because for her, it's a huge challenge to our family's super liberal and environmentalist, but we're not vegan. And she's moved us a lot in that direction, but it's been really hard for her, like recognizing, maybe you guys talked about this in the vegan episode, but recognizing like how fucked up our culture is on this issue. Like, do you just stand by and, <laughs> and watch it what? happen? And watch it happen, or like try to be like, oh, that's great! You didn't have chicken one day. You go, John. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> but, but but that's how you bring people into a. That's how you bring people in. You're not, you're not. You can't start by othering them and saying you're terrible, and you have to go all or nothing. You have to say like, oh, we share these values, which you guys talked about with Spencer too. Like recognizing the things you share and bringing people into a movement rather than starting by making them feel evil and and, and empowering them. It's a really an empowering thing rather than yeah rather than yeah i think uh, that um for me it's always been i've heard so much kind of like propaganda in either direction about what i can personally do to you know affect mm -hmm. the environment <clears throat> for example it's like you know i've like the first thing that comes to my head is like right now i know that there's like kind of a, a weird thing happening in the recycling industry where there's not a lot of demand for our junk yeah. you yep. know and so yep. So there's people being like, yeah, I mean, recycle, but like, does it really matter? Because like, no one's going to take it. Like, it's still going to end up in a landfill anyway. Yeah. I've heard like, you know, people have said to me with like, you know, obviously not backing with any data, like, well, you know, recycling takes more energy than whatever. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I feel yeah. like I've, I've, you know, I'm, I struggle to figure out what exactly I can do. Um, yeah. That's actually going to make a difference, especially if like, it's going to be something as big as, you know, not eating meat or whatever. Yeah, 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 and so many. It's become this kind of a performative thing too, of like, yeah, oh, that's you know they they've got the they're not using the right straw. I'm using my metal straw, yeah. and it's like the people who are like, oh, I've got to like get rid of all this. Like I've got uh, a bunch of re you know 
disposable containers. Let me get rid of all of them and buy this new eco-friendly thing or like the new eco-friendly bag. Let me replace my old bag with eco-friendly bag. It's like, well, no, I mean, buying the new thing is not going to necessarily be the, but it, but it becomes, you know, you're still buying a new thing. You're still causing the economy to create this new thing. If you're, it's like if you, uh, you know, if you replace your backpack with a new eco-friendly bag, you literally still, just threw out a perfectly usable yeah, thing, exactly. and then like it presumably still required a lot of energy to produce that other exactly, thing. You're just exactly. better off not buying things. But there's so exactly. many. There's such a huge like you know market yeah. that now you know producers have caught on yeah. to that if you just like put some nice like you know like gray yeah. like like this like you know brown paper packaging with the like yeah. you know green lettering that suddenly people will be like oh <laughs> i will be an ethical person if i buy this right yeah, and it becomes a yeah and it becomes a, a performative thing of like oh i'm signaling to others that i care about this whereas the things that really make a difference i mean that's where taking a step back to like what are the big things that really make a difference um, I, you know i sent over this study that kind of looks at that from a holistic perspective and then interestingly compares it to like what really makes a difference versus what are we putting in our textbooks and what do we what are our governments doing? And the things that really make a difference are uh, things that are much less performative, like not flying. No one's gonna be like, oh wow, you didn't take that vacation. You are so green. Yeah. You know, like, no gonna, but but they no should be like that. that. Yeah, but it should be like that, exactly. And and almost more to the point, like it's an empowering thing. It's like, wow, I made the choice to like go camping in nature and get all these awesome things rather than just like checking the quote unquote success box of like a cool successful person goes to exotic places. And that's how we define, you know, what success looks like or whatever. I mean, that's, that's one, right. one lens. Um, but, and some of those things or, or buying green energy, like figuring it just a small thing of like contacting your utility or talking to your, or provides your energy and even just asking the question, if you're in, I know, like for us, we we don't even pay for our utilities, so I would that, that feels like totally disempowered. But if but just asking the question to our landlords, the more times they get that question, the more likely they are to, for marketing purposes, of nothing else, to source that. And that's something that you're not gonna maybe you put something on your door so someone can pat you on the back, but like it's no not one's like gonna you're see gonna that. make a Facebook yeah. post yeah, being like, exactly. oh, yeah. like Literally, look, I talked to my landlord. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, my house has solar panels on the roof, oh, and cool. and nobody sees them right yeah, and i've had people yeah. like specifically if you're in like one of the rooms in the house and you open yeah. the window you'll see a solar panel and i've had people be okay. like your house has solar panels and i'm like oh yeah i forgot but yes like you yeah, do yeah. exactly and that's that's how it should be it shouldn't be like these things are so fundamental to how we live it shouldn't be like you need to feel conflicted and have some deep conversation every time you order the tofu instead of the chicken or you like it just just be the way things are, and that should be the norm, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, that maybe not in that example, but but whatever case, like green energy, that's the way things are going. Right. Um, so I we have good options. I'd love to talk a little bit more of the um, of the numbers of what you were of what we were talking about. For example, like yeah. the flight that like yeah. about yeah. you shared uh, like the fact that one transatlantic flight. Uh, produces more or takes more energy than the average American household uses in a in a year. Was that it? Yeah, yeah. So so one transatlantic flight is the same greenhouse gas impact. Actually, slightly more. I'm looking at the graphic now, so I don't misspeak. As buying green energy for an entire year for an average American person. So like, if you were to like have your entire life be off of a solar panel and not heat your house with natural gas and not do any of that stuff, that's less than one flight to Europe, one round trip flight to Europe. 
Damn. And um, okay, can I just just crazy, right? I mean, that's yeah. like that's wild. <laughs> yeah. And we'll yeah. link all of these resources because Elijah sent us like a bunch of resources to preview in advance and um, to prepare for this. And I literally that that graphic is the most validating graphic for my life personally <laughs> because <laughs> literally all every single thing on there. So number one is not having kids, right? And it's mm-hmm. like a free pass for me because I never wanted kids anyway, regardless of the environmental <laughs> yeah, this consequences. This is very convenient for you. Right? But literally like all of the things that we, like I've never once seen an environmental kind of like public awareness campaign that was like, don't have kids Stop having because kids. that's so fucking personal, right? Like that's yeah. such a personal, well, like, you know, like question for people right and it yeah. feels almost like weird from an ethical standpoint to tell people not to have kids yeah right? yeah and i think go, go ahead, ahead elijah i was just gonna say i think there's also a lot of like shitty cultural not even cultural like systemic baggage that's got to be unpacked to allow us to talk in that way yeah but i totally agree like the problem is a problem is that that was a narrative in the past and then like eugenics happened and that, so then it wasn't just let's not have kids it was oh, let's not have those people they should right. really be having kids but if the the narrative that comes out of this thing is not it's exactly the opposite it's like hey you know what if a family in india has nine kids that's the same as one american having one kid so yeah, yeah. we should be focusing on the rich americans they should be the ones that are not having kids you know like right i never thought is, about how easy right. it is for that conversation to slip into like a very eugenicsy conversation but yeah, i guess me either but it is right, like yeah. when the that's, that's the, the, the logical question is like, okay, so who should not have kids? Yeah, and then that's yeah. when you get in, into like weird stuff. But yeah, I I think that this is probably the way that me and probably Isabel feels this way too. That I differ from most of my peers is that like I am I I think I've like gone as far to say, and I think this is true. I think, but I think this like this might feel offensive. I think like the ethically and morally wrong choice is to have a child. Like, I agree, like, yeah. <laughs> like, I think, I yeah. think that, I think in terms of, like, in, like, so many different ways, but in terms of, like, you know, even in terms of environmentalism, resource draw, um, and things like that, you know, why, like, it's just, it's not, it's not a thing that you need to do, and if you want to raise a child, there are children that need to be raised. <laughs> yeah. Could, yeah. Which is crazy because with. it already feels like such a personal choice to even t- say to people like go vegan or something. Right. Yep. And that yep. is literally not having kids is 73 times as impactful as yeah. going vegan. Right. And going vegan yeah. already seems yeah. like this huge lifestyle choice for people to make that seems like almost yeah. unfair to ask people to do. And that's right? for a whole lifetime of being vegan. Exactly. Like going vegan for, the next for like week. a year or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's so wild. Just, it is. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Right? It, I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, right? Like when you have a kid, you are just taking all of your impact and you're multiplying it by two. Plus, <laughs> they're going to have kids, you know, like. Right. Yeah. So it, just, it almost feels like an infinitely, down. like, you know, it's, exponential thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. You're starting, yeah. you're starting a new chain, probably, yeah. of environmental usage. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and I've had, I mean, I've had, I've been thinking of one, actually, I had a conversation on this with a, with a friend. This is, of course, one of those like late night after 2 a.m. pizza in New York City. Like I brought this up and he was like, don't you tell me how to live my life. Like, Are you serious? Are you fucking see you're bringing up kids? Like, I'm, you know, like they, but I, I love this guy. And I, and I know that his reaction is he's telling me what a lot of people, if they heard the statement that I said earlier, are thinking They're like, no, what? But, but again, it's the same thing of like, how can we change the conversation from you're a terrible person, you shouldn't have kids to like, isn't this amazing? The, the, first of all, 
think about why, you know, what are the things that are driving you to have kids? Is it, is it that you want to be caring for someone? Is it that you want to have a, a big family? And there's so many, to, to, to uh, DeAndre's point, there's so many kids out there who are looking for that, for support for that. Like that's a huge opportunity. Think about the, the, like the life that you can give this. That's like a whole nother level, right? Not only are you, anyways, right. there's a lot to, there's a whole lot to unpack there. That's like a whole nother thing that I frankly am not. Mm-hmm don't have the tools to discuss yeah. Yeah, I, I i've also yeah. often thought about like yeah like you know what is the sort of like intrinsic thing that is ingrained in us that makes us want to have biological children and if it's like you know it's probably like nature and nurture um but yeah for sure yeah that's, and it's you know, that's so yeah like that's something that like i just from my perspective as somebody who just doesn't have that impulse at all of this feeling of like, I need to have this biological legacy. It is so baffling to me that there's some people who feel that so strongly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So like there's that. And then what was the next thing that was on the list? It was like uh, living car free. Yeah. So, but but the, uh, the magnitude just to like paint the picture for everyone. So having one fewer child is 120 <laughs> uh, tons of CO2 per year. Living car free. That's two. Yeah. So, you know, you're, you're chipping off the block, but, but it's, it's something, you know? Yeah. So then we talk about the thing and obviously the, all the other things in this list are choices you can, that are in your normal lifestyle and a day-to-day choice versus uh, existential and bringing a whole life into the world. You know, it's, they're not really in the same ballpark, but yeah. So the other big ones are um, living car free, transit flights um, and energy for your home and energy, like your energy for your home. Those are the big three big three pieces. And then you look all the way at the bottom, you know, things that we think about is like the typical, and this goes back to his point, the point of the authors here of, you know, what we talk about in textbooks, like recycle is uh, like 0.2 relative to, you know, green energy is one, you know, so it's like a, a tiny portion of it. Mm-hmm. That's of your comprehensive recycling. Can we go ahead. quickly just contextualize the numbers? What, it's a, yeah. It's yeah. Point one two of what? ton of like CO2 sure. saved. Right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the units are usually used for for greenhouse gases, which is what causes warming, which is what causes climate change, are CO two equivalent. So it's uh, it's CO two is the biggest greenhouse gas, most important one mm-hmm. or most prevalent one. But there's a bunch of other greenhouse gases that no one like methane is a huge one that matters a lot for food. That's why beef is so. Yeah. That's why beef it's is cow so. Farts. Cow, it's actually cow burps. Everyone cow burps. Cow burps. Oh, <laughs> cow burps. Yeah, they got the four stomachs and stuff comes back out. Um, and um, anyway, so so that's why you say that's why the unit is, but it's tons of greenhouse gases is the way you can think about Got it. it. Um, but a lot of these things like upgrading light bulbs and hang drying clothing, I'm just reading off the list of what they've got, wash clothes in cold water, recycling. They're all great things that are important and things like recycling especially have a lot of the lens we're talking about is climate, but doesn't include, you know, the fact that you're creating all this waste that's going to be in waterways and have other impacts. And that's a whole nother topic you can talk about so there is definitely validity outside of the yeah and if numeric, you if you compound uh, this stuff right like if you do like yeah all of these small things like it definitely you know it it adds up to make a difference right absolutely well and it's again it's it's the empowering piece of like what can you what, what do you have control over there's some things that you personally make choices over there's some things like like some of these things it's the fact that like green energy it's great that you can advocate it's really important that you advocate it for it but we also need to have policy like it's not every individual is not going to make choices there. So that's where, you know, we go to the point of like voting is, right. uh, you know, especially yeah. in the 
just to, really to kind of put a bow on this part of the conversation because I do want yeah, to part. I really do feel like for me, like kind of the the TLDR of the stuff around personal choices is just the point that there's almost an inverse correlation between how impactful something is and how much people actually talk about it in terms of this is a thing you should yeah. do, right? Because so yeah, many people talk yeah. about going vegan. So many people talk about recycling, whatever, right? And those things are relatively low impact compared to just not having kids and basically not having a car. Those are number one, number two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And flights, I think, is the one that, and flights. that I know yeah. for me it was a big surprise. I didn't think about it a lot. Um, it's usually separated in a different box. Mm-hmm. It's like, so, oh, but that's my vacation. That doesn't count. Yeah. So if, and I don't, you might not know the answer to this, but if sure. everyone on that flight, say we're, we have like a domestic flight and we're going from like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, North Carolina to Arizona or wherever. If yeah. everyone that would have taken that flight would have driven instead, would that still be a yeah. collective less impact than everyone like taking that one flight? Yeah, it's I actually so. pretty. Yeah, that's right. That that's that's the way they can compare it. And there there is short haul flights are the worst because um, how just briefly what how things work for flights as far as carbon's concerned and energy. Most of the energy is taking off and landing, especially taking off. And mm-hmm. so you take off, and then if you go 100 miles, it's not that different if you go 1,000 miles. Got it. And, okay. And so that's why the short-haul flight. So the, the break-even is like – I don't know the number. I don't want to say the right number. But it's something on the order of like flying to California might be like a close to break-even point. But anywhere closer than that, it's going to be better to drive or train. Obviously, it would be ideal. But there's a bunch of things that are better. But, but um, again, taking this empowering and then figuring out what you can do in the reality of – modern reality of having spread out i know for my family spread out all over the place um figuring out how to make the most of you know how to make the most of that time um traveling less and spending more time there or or finding cool things you can do in your area you know as far as vacation stuff goes but i don't know i haven't figured that out either you guys mentioned greta that's all that was kind of one of the things that she tried to bring greta thunberg a big climate activist with a boat how well, she like sailed across the Atlantic or whatever to come yeah. to the US and, well, and then the the uh the, the sad part of that whole story is that well maybe not sad she, a lot of the protest was like this is ridiculous we're going to a climate conference in like Chile and then I think they ended up moving the climate conference back to Spain or back to somewhere in Europe because everyone was like yeah this is ridiculous we're going to South America and most people who need to talk about this are in Europe why is everyone flying to South America and so then she sailed back and didn't actually, I think, go to the climate conference. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it brought a lot of awareness to the issue, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's super inspired as far as folks in our generation. For sure. Maybe the next generation. Because Especially because like, I think she's literally the first kind of neurodivergent person that I've seen get this much press in yeah. a way that is super positive. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, okay. So we've chatted about like changes that we can make in our daily lives or in like our life choices our overall life choices that you know actually make a difference in collection in contextualizing those um mm-hmm. let's talk about policy changes like voting and and you know who like what communities are impacted by and like by poor poor environmental practices and like how this all intersects this is a really hard conversation yeah. to get into and it's kind of hard for me to think about like where to even start Especially because within the realm of personal choices, I'm really curious to hear what your opinion is on Elijah, but like there's so many people who are just like, okay, but personal choices are literally one tiny, like it's not even comparable to the order of magnitude of what's happening Mm -hmm. on an industrial level if we actually just regulated industries. 
right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, I'm curious mm-hmm. whether what your you know thoughts are on how, you know, obviously we don't want to have that be to the point where people's perception of their own actions is like fatalistic, where they're like, there's no way I could ever make a, you know, yeah, yeah. an impact as comparable to the level of an industry. But it's kind of a yes and question in my well, mind, right? Yeah, oh, it's absolutely yes and. And, and what's easy to, to say industry is like, oh, that's just, you know, that's just a subtract big animal. And there are some like that, like let's say cement is a huge contributor. It's hard. Not a lot of us are making choices about how we build our buildings, you know, or like choosing to live in a cement building or choosing not to. And frankly, once it's built, it's actually not, it doesn't make that much of a difference, right? It's the, the, it's the choice is all made before you're even in the, and so that's something that's going to have to be done from a policy side. But a lot of, when we say industry is manufacturing stuff that people are choosing to buy on an everyday basis or, you know, I'm just right. wanting to un- unpack that a little bit, that it's, there are impacts. You are still voting with your dollar when you choose to buy less higher quality stuff rather than buy more lower quality stuff. And um, in the work that you do, right? And I just got this from your literal like LinkedIn profile. So tell me sure. if I'm reading misreading this, but you actually do work in quantifying that stuff for industries, right? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, like yeah. I'm really, really interested in like what that even means and how you do that. Cause that seems like a huge, like almost uncomprehensible like task. Yeah. Right. To me. Yeah. 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 To understand like what's the footprint of a company. Exactly. That seems just so yeah. far reaching. And how could you possibly yeah. like look at all the different factors that go into that? Yeah. So usually um, at a high level, there's kind of two buckets of things that you're responsible for as a company. And the same idea you could apply to a person. There's what's called scope one and two, or just like your things that you have more direct control over. And that's like fuel that you burn. Like I cook in my house and I turn on the gas and I'm burning that fuel or I drive my car and I burn that fuel. And if I'm a company and I own that car, that's my operations, my scope one and two. Or electricity I use, that's technically scope two, but it's still in your operations. You're choosing to turn on the lights, turn on the heater, whatever. And then there's the like what's called scope three, which is this crazy, huge, everything upstream and downstream of your life, of your company's operations that you affect, that you that are a result of your operations, but maybe the emissions aren't happening at your company. And that's where like most of emissions are for most of the companies that we work with, because we work with a lot of uh, consumer goods companies, for example, or in most industries, frankly, they are not the ones like, let's just give it a, a generic example, like a food, a food, a food store, like a Kroger, right? Think about like I'm a, I'm a business Kroger or I'm a food brand. I run stores, I buy stuff from suppliers and then I sell it. I maybe process it, then I sell it. Most of the emissions for like, let's say I'm processing beef, just make it really simple. Like me processing that beef for her hand, McDonald's, me processing that beef, me cooking it, that's tiny compared to all the emissions that happen on the farm with the, with the agriculture associated with that beef. Or if even further back, the soy that that beef is eating, right, that those cows are eating, that's way far back. So we do like kind of the, the process at a high level is figure out, you need to know in detail what your scope one and two, what your mm, things that you have direct control over. And actually, this is comparable for like just any individual too, right? You want to understand the stuff that you can control best and you want to make, take action on that stuff. But you want to also recognize that, that what you can control the best, the decisions you make, these little decisions we're making are not the full picture of what, you, of what your impact is. So for a company perspective, what you want to do is kind of do what we do with kind of a, what's called a hot spot assessment or just understanding, okay, there's a huge, all the things upstream, all the way up to the soy that is, goes into the beef that you're buying, all the way, then I haven't talked about downstream, but like, 
when you throw when the consumer buys it and then drives home, that's greenhouse gases. And then they cook it, that's greenhouse gases. And then they throw away some of the food, just to, to use the beef as an example. Then it decomposes in a landfill, that's greenhouse gases, right? That all stuff is all falls into what we call scope three. And recognizing where are our hotspots as a company, or you can do the same thing as an individual. And therefore, where should we focus our efforts? Because you can't do everything. Right. You have to focus on where. So for a company like McDonald's, it's focusing on beef. Okay, beef specifically, beef supply chain. Now let's go into beef. You know, let's just not worry about all these other categories. There's 15 categories of scope three. It's crazy. Let's focus on that one. And then let's dive into working with those suppliers and let's understand what their practices are. And then and it's just, just this kind of like, Hotspot, hotspot, hotspot. Like, what's the big one? Just like, what's go the down the chain, right? Of like, okay, yeah, exactly. One, and then keep a, you know, and it's just going to keep going on forever. You just got to figure out where to. <laughs> well, eventually, it gets to the to the farm level. Yeah. For I, I do a lot of stuff in the food world, and it is super interesting because we started this whole the whole the last four years in this space have been have been crazy. Especially actually since Trump got elected, there's been a big movement of companies that are saying like. Um, companies and states and every, all the non-federal pieces of people that are stepping up because there's a recognition that the federal government's not doing anything. So actually, it's stimulated stimulated action. Wow. Company, company, which is really exciting. It's sad, right? Because you can only do so much when you're in a regulatory framework that like incentivizes coal. Yeah. They can only do so much. Totally. But it's exciting that it gave enough people a kick in the butt. Um, so that there is a lot of... Because uh, the pressure is coming from consumers, from... Uh, just very briefly, once from uh, employers, as far as what you can do too, like what, as an employee, I heard a really interesting, I don't remember, it was a big tech company, I want to say a company like Salesforce, I don't remember though, so I don't want to misquote, but I, I was at a conference maybe last year, and I heard an interesting story uh, from a, one of these like tech executive types, and they were talking about how, and this was actually related to, I want to say like transgender issues, some, something that's seemingly unrelated, but has a lot of implications. This was when Wisconsin had some really bad policies they were putting forward, and this tech company took a stand and said, hey, we're not even going to have our offices in this state. We're not going to bring our business to your state because um, you have these bad policies. And they saw after that, like they, she gave some ridiculous statistic of like, we're, we have a huge hiring problem. We can't find talent. Like there's twice as many jobs needed in the tech sector than there are coming out of colleges. Huge problem for us. After we made this public statement and we did this, we had a huge increase in people interested in getting our jobs. We got way more talent. And there's the same thing going on in the in the environmental space. Like a lot of these companies, I always come in assuming, used to always come in assuming like, okay, either this is just a PR thing or now and more and more it's investor pressure. So it's like yeah. fiduciary. But a lot of these companies, it's, it's like, no, they want to get good talent and retain good talent. Their employees are demanding it. Their customers are obviously demanding it. Like that stuff matters a lot. Yeah. Um, and I love and it, that you make that point because yeah. so much of what I try like, what I think we try to do on this podcast and what I like to think about personally is like how how is the the, the changes that and values that we have as gen, as a generation actually having a tangible impact because it's so easy to think about things like environmentalism and feel so disempowered of just like oh my god I can't do anything everyone is just like you know doesn't want to talk about this stuff because it's so emotional blah 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 but like it does mm -hmm. seem like we really really are having like really changing the environment from an employment standpoint and from a consumer standpoint right yeah yeah and I think yeah. that's I think that's carrying over into the political landscape as well right like this this series of democratic debates we saw a fair amount of conversation around climate change, certainly more than like mm -hmm. the literally none we saw in the last election cycle, <laughs> yeah. right? Right, right. 
can only go up from zero. Exactly. Yeah. And what I love, okay, so, so this 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 pertains to this section of this podcast episode that you sent us, which I'm going to link in the description. This podcast episode it was talking about how basically the people, the over the Venn diagram of people who vote and people who are environmentalists is actually really there's very little overlap in the sense yeah. that I think the actual numbers because I, I wrote it down was that there's basically like 20 million people who who consider themselves like pretty hardcore environmentalists yeah, every which, year. They, which they define as like environmentalism is you're either your number one or your number two most important exactly. more important issue right right and I think their numbers were basically based on like 2014 and it basically said in 2014 only Four million of those people actually voted. So only like a fifth environmentalists ever actually go out and vote. And what I didn't realize was that the reason for that is because so many. Well, there's I'm sure there's we can unpack. There's like a bunch of reasons, but a lot of it. And I didn't realize this at all was that a lot of environmentalists are young african-american and latino i totally yeah. didn't know that at all even though I've, yeah. i feel like i'm pretty educated yeah. on like environmental issues right. i totally didn't realize that and that's probably and like that's probably you know to some degree per, like on purpose right like we want i think it's like i think it's beneficial for those who like you know don't want to see like large you know pro-environmentalism policy passed for people to think of environmentalists as these like you know like white yuppie kind of like uppity people and i think that you know i think that when in actuality like environmentalists look at a lot of different ways and like as a priority for a lot of different kinds of people well and i think their point that they were making was also that maybe that was true like 20 10 years ago but now that so many of these people especially because they're living in food deserts they're living in places that are around like incinerators and like they're they're getting asthma and shit like that a lot of those people are getting activated because those are the people who are being affected most by these issues right yeah i, I actually remember so we, we did a uh we did a um, climate and action, climate action and adaptation plan for a big, a big city in Texas that I was working on. My and this was like when I just started in the sustainability group. I just came out of engineering work, and um, I was doing some um, survey analysis. And I knew nothing about this. I, this is not my background. I'm an engineer. I knew like gears and stuff, not not how to survey people. And the one of the things that was so surprising to me is we, we were basically asking people about environmental issues. And we tried to split, and I, I, I was just trying to figure out what, it, what what does the data say? What can we figure out? And so I split it by by race respondent, and I split it by um, income. And I figured, oh, okay, you know, there's like the standard narrative of like, oh, you know, we say these things are by race, but probably a lot of these disparities and views about environmentalism actually have a lot of uh, correlation with income. And it became very clear very quickly. No, it's about race. Like there is, and it's and it's a, I think a large part because. They've been relative. A lot of these disadvantaged communities, of black and brown, have been relegated to parts of the city that are flooding because of climate change. That have all the stuff you're saying that are closest to the, to the um, like all the um, fossil fuel energy generation. That are right. where the water treatment plants are. That are where yeah. the you know. For so many of us, I think that it's easy to dissociate from environmentalists. You know, from climate change issues because we don't feel them on a day to day basis. Exactly. But, like these populations, like Isabel said, yeah, have been activated because they, you know, when they might live near the landfill or they live in the polluted areas where it's literally hard for them to, for them to breathe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like all the same things that that perpetuate or have made the COVID uh, um, effects so 
disproportionate. Right. And I think that another cool thing that the, well, cool is maybe the wrong word, but another really interesting thing that the podcast gets into is sort of the cycle, right, of, of, you know, so we have these impacted people that care, care about environmentalism, and then we ask the question, okay, so why don't they vote more? And obviously there's tons to unpack in that question, right? Like mm-hmm. these people are, you know, on the less malicious stand, on the less malicious side of why they don't, they don't vote. These people are often working class. They might have to, you know, they might have to work on the days that they need to vote. They might not be, they not might, you know, be empowered to be vote to, or they're not, they don't feel empowered or they don't believe in the system. And, you know, we often see and are very aware of the effects now of like very intentional voter suppression and voter disenfranchisement, yep. right? Like the, right. you know, it's it's become clear, especially over these past couple of years. And then, you know, even most recently in the, God, was it the, yeah, the Kentucky primary where like they uh, drastically reduced the number of voting sites because of COVID, but all mm-hmm. of all of the, you know, the entire county that Louisville sits in, which is 600,000 people, mostly black, had one voting site. Right. And so we're seeing this, we're seeing these practices kind of more publicly now of disenfranchisement. But the podcast then talks about how it's cyclical because these people, you know, that don't vote for various kinds of reasons are now not being listened to by politicians because politicians only care about pandering to the people that are actually going to vote. Yeah. Yes, that's the piece that really kind of made a light bulb go off for me because I didn't draw that connection before. I like never, the narrative in my head was like, yes, it's important to vote because these policy level issues are so much more important than individual level issues. But I never understood until it was articulated so well in this podcast, the connection between even all the other political activity that you could be doing, like calling your senators and calling your local politicians and that kind of thing is enhanced by voting because all of those people are looking to see if you're on because it's all public information whether or not you vote right and so if they look on the list and they're like oh but this person doesn't even vote they're not going to give a shit about what you say right yeah of course (laughs) yeah so it becomes i didn't get that before it's it's funny i know it's it's the same reaction and then as soon as you realize you're like of course like that that literally is their constituency that makes sense totally and so you get to and so especially you know some politicians get to literally participate in voter disenfranchisement, voter suppression, and then use that as a justification to not care about environmentalist policies because these are the people that care about environmentalism, but they don't vote. Right. So if only like a fifth of the environmentalists ever actually vote, how could like, why yeah, would they, why would they yeah. care? Right. Like they're, they're so much of what they're motivated by is being able to stay in. Yeah, office. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Keep the job. Well, we all want to keep our jobs. Right. <laughs> one, one thing that's heartening, though, actually. So I, I just out of I, I hadn't actually looked too deeply into that. That this it's the guy I was on was from the Environmental Voter Project, and I just checked it before this this call. Um, and apparently, I was looking at the 2020 numbers, and he mentioned that in 2016, um, it was only two to six percent of registered voters who have put climate or environment as their top issue. In 2020, it's 14 percent. So that's like more than double increasing and also they found um and i haven't dug into this enough to know like how this interacts with the stuff that he talks about in the podcast but that also environmentalist voters are now were willing like were very motivated to go out and vote like they sat they they, they uh were like willing to sit i think they said i was just reading off their website that they on average were willing to sit in line for an hour and 13 minutes or something to vote um so anyways all that is to say 
I'm sure there's more to the story than that, but hopefully it's a indication of like clearly disenfranchised groups. I'm sure there's still a lot of big problems. There's still a lot of things to be fought up against, but showing things are moving. One hopes. Um, Yeah. And yet another reason to vote, right? Like exactly. If you like, if you needed more reasons, another reason is that if, if, you know, politicians like will, start paying attention to you and your community if people in your community just participate like exactly just like you know like yeah. they can't they don't have access to who you voted for but if they see that you all are politically active then like you know they're more likely to give a shit yeah so yeah that was like that was just crazy to me i'd like that i didn't draw the connection yeah <laughs> yeah well and then and, 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 and it's the same on both sides right like the, the another one of the conclusions from this thing was that like trump's core is steady voters like it just happens to be that the demographics that he's appeals to are people who are like always vote, you know? Yeah. And so that's a positive feedback loop of like, you know, people who are like, Oh, I'm being represented. I'm going to vote. Oh, I'm being represented. I'm going to vote. And you know that, and then there's a negative feedback loop of like, they don't even represent my issues. Why would I vote? And then you don't vote. And then they don't represent your issues. And then, you know, it's like happens on both sides. Which is something that like, I, I like you would think, like for some reason, right? Like it, it does seem like those people, despite the fact that, you know, Obama was in office for eight years, still yeah. are voting, yeah. right? It's not like they, 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 you know, for those entire eight years, they're like, oh, well, you know, the administration doesn't rep- yeah. represent no, that's my true. views, and that, but they're still voting, yeah. right? So it's sort of like, we should, like, that's, that's really like the thing that is so frustrating, especially around like young people, yeah. because, you know, obviously we know that young people are going to be impacted by policies that are made today more than older people are. Right. And so that's the thing that is so difficult is like, how do you get that across to yeah. people enough to actually motivate someone to action? Yeah. Right. And for me, I do think that like, you know, thinking about how your voter status makes you like a quote unquote, like first class citizen compared to not voting is I, I think very yeah. motivating. And I think that that should be talked about. Yeah. 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 You yeah. Know? You're going to get the service. So yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> Were there other things that we wanted? To, oh, we wanted to talk about like, did we feel like we talked about like food stuff enough or do we want to talk more about that? DeAndre? I think, I know you said you wanted to talk kind of about that more. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we kind of wrapped that up into our first conversation. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. We and we've had the vegan episode. Like we know. Like yeah. I mean, you should. Like that's also another big thing that you can do to a personal yeah. choice that you as a person can make is to you know be on like a mostly a plant based diet. And that's on the figure that we'll link in the in the show notes as well. One, the only thing I would have there on the food side that I know for me was a big realization a couple of years ago, especially in, the, in they making that piece that I shared. Um, well, first of all, the yeah. food, the fact that the food sector uses the same has the same emissions as the entire electricity and heat production sector is pretty insane, right? Like all power plants and then there's food and those have the same amount of emissions. Right. That's pretty crazy. That is um, crazy. And food is like 1.5 times the entire transportation sector. So that's like all the stuff we think about of trucks and cars, you know, just given the magnitude of it, it is, it is really important. But then the, the, the final thing, just as a point to make was, I know, um, and it's these issues are complicated, but it's easy, again, to back to where we started, it's easy to focus on things that are kind of more performative or not performative, but obvious, like nice packaging. Oh, it's from the local farm. And those things are for other reasons have, have can have big benefits. But when it comes to food stuff that like actual food you're eating, whether it's beef or a soy protein or whatever matters way, way, way more. Like it's 95% or 98% of the footprint relative to what it's packaged in, where it came from, all the other stuff. Um, and so I think that's just a, 
understanding that relative magnitude. Um, yeah. Is it was I know for me a while ago I heard in the Planet Money podcast on that in like 2012, and I was like, "What? No, that can't be it." You know, because you the whole locavore movement, which has a lot of other. To be, I don't want to just throw out locavore movement because there's a lot of other really important benefits from that. But um, when you're talking about from a client perspective, it's pretty clear that anything that comes from animals is going to be much, much, much right, more right. intensive. I think it just comes down to the disconnect between there's, you know, if there's a way to kind of understand intellectually, like, okay, here are the numbers. Here's what's like 10 times as impactful. Here's what's going to give you. But it's so, I, I think, and I don't think that there's really an answer to this. I don't think there's really a, a like, you know, way that we figured it out yet. How do you translate that into the only thing that motivates people to act is the emotional yeah, element yeah, yeah. of it, right? And how do you translate that into something emotional? And all the things that are most impactful, unfortunately, seemingly have a really, really negative emotional yeah. association with them, right? Like not having kids and eating. Yeah, and yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. Because people love traveling, no, they right? Do, they people do. love, well, you know, eating meat, whatever. And so I think that's where, and that's the thing, I don't remember... There's a big movement now about how climate change is communicated too. That that you can zoom that out to so just climate change. Like people yeah. don't respond great to saying the world's gonna end because of you. You know, like yeah, yeah, respond exactly. Well, respond well to is like painting a. I mean, why Obama was so, um, so inspiring, right? Like painting the picture of hope of like you can be empowered to create this amazing new world. And there's the same, it's exactly the same story with climate change. It's not like we're doomed to have the world explode. It's more like, Oh my gosh, imagine a world where we are like basically a part of nature and there's no negative externalities. There aren't these like communities that are in the wakes of all these crappy polluting things. Like we are together can create this future where you have, like much more equity and much more harmony with nature and all this stuff. It's like a really cool future that can be created. And that includes everyone having the easy option to follow all these, check all the boxes of, of um, what we're, what we call that today, as far as uh, personal actions, you know, having a green grid, having easier transportation options and having better plant-based place diet options. But those, it's an, it can be an empowering thing, not like a, your life is terrible, but or your choices are terrible, but more like think about how, how you can contribute to that and how you can be a part of that exciting future. Elijah, thanks so much for sitting with us today. I feel like, um, yeah, it's, you know, like Isabel said at the top of the pod, we often have, you know, kind of our peers or like people that may not have as much expertise as you have, but I feel like it's good to have someone for something like as kind of quantifiable as environmentalism. It's good to have someone that can do that for us. Thank you for having me. This is really a nice conversation. For sure. Uh, so what are you doing to stay sane during COVID? Oh, man. Uh, trying to hike and or get in nature is one thing, definitely. And um, yeah, play music. I actually got it back a little bit back into songwriting, which has been nice. Nice. Awesome. nice. I'm also like, yeah. trying to play more music. Yeah. It's definitely saying it. like help like he worse he's gonna start teaching me how to do music theory oh awesome or like yeah. learn just learn more about music theory which is good that's a game changer yeah because like i was someone that just like okay here's a guitar I, I know how to play these chords but i have no idea like what chords are why they like why they work whatever you know so yeah 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 okay cool well awesome. um do you have anything that you want to plug before we get out of here um nothing on my own but just to that point of voter of getting voted out there are actually a couple organizations that i've 
one uh, that I wanted to just throw in a, a wrench for, or whatever the expression is. Um, I don't know why you're throwing a wrench. That's a weird thing to pick. Um, it's, okay. <laughs> Anyways, um, my cousin actually does, is uh, involved in this movement voter project, which is a super cool organization that basically helps to fund uh, grassroots organizations. In, and there's and a lot, a lot, a lot of alignment actually with um, Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Votes. Uh, the, the, the organizations that are trying to specifically get out the black vote um, to fund grassroots organizations getting out the vote. And then the Environmental Voter Project is the piece that I sent along to you guys. So both of those are, are cool um, get out the vote efforts that I think are important. But Great. Um, and as always, if you heard anything you liked or you didn't like or you really hated Elijah or you really hated us, um, feel free to let us know at I'm the Villain Pod. Um, that's our Gmail, our Instagram, and our Twitter. Uh, otherwise, bye!